welcome back to another edition of the ASEP Equal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Woods. Today's discussion is going to be on optimal imaging for renal colic. The consensus recommendations were actually just published this month, September 2019. They're titled Imaging in Suspected Renal Colic, Systemic Review of the Literature and Multispecialty Consensus. And this was co-published by three journals, Annals of Emergency Medicine, the Journal of Urology, and the Journal of the American College of Radiology. So you can find it at any of those three places. Lead author is Dr. Chris Moore. We've got a couple of different guests today who are a representative group of the panel that came to the Delphi consensus. You're going to hear Dr. Jay Schur, who's the co-lead of the ASAP Equal Project and a frequent contributor to this podcast feed. You're also going to hear Dr. Chris Moore, who's an emergency medicine physician at Yale New Haven and the director of the division of ultrasound for the Department of Emergency Medicine there. Lastly, you're going to hear Dr. Courtney Moreno, who's at Emory University and is a radiologist. She's the clinical site director of abdominal imaging services there. The panel that was convened to perform this modified Delphi included nine members split between urology, emergency medicine, and radiology, which makes it one of the broader consensus papers that we've talked about through this ASAP Equal project. So first up, Dr. Moore, can you give us an idea of what the problem was, why it was important to convene a panel on this, and why it was beneficial to have a multi-specialty panel, even though we're coming at it mostly from the emergency room? So there are over 2 million emergency department visits annually for suspected renal colic, which is typically flank pain or back pain that could be a kidney stone. CAT scan or CT scanning really is the go-to imaging modality for this. And we, I think, all agree that this is a very accurate imaging modality. But the issue is it has additional ionizing radiation that may cause cancer down the line, somewhat time-consuming, there's costs associated with it, and also incidental findings, which can lead to false positives and other downstream effects that may not be totally favorable. As people who are familiar with this topic may know, ultrasound has been advocated recently, particularly there was a Sentinel publication in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at uh, radiology, ultrasound, point-of-care ultrasounds, and CT in the initial evaluation of renal colic. The issue being that this is really a multidisciplinary issue, meaning there's the emergency physician who evaluates this on a clinical basis when they first see the patient. But downstream, the person who will be treating the kidney stone, if it needs treatment, would be a urologist. And often involved in decisions about imaging would be radiology, particularly if we talk about other modalities, including reduced radiation dose CT scanning. So what we're really trying to do in this panel is to involve all of the stakeholders imaging patients for renal colic. But the key thing to keep in mind is that it's really a minority of patients that actually do require intervention. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in terms of how urology is involved. So we had a multi-specialty panel, as mentioned, three members from the American College of Emergency Physicians, three from the American College of Radiology, and three from the American Neurologic Association. So we went through a two-part process, the first part being a systematic review of the literature, uh, and the second part that we'll really focus more on in this webinar is the creation and consensus process for 29 clinical vignettes that talk about real-world scenarios where a clinician may see and evaluate acute renal colic. We went through and developed actual clinical vignettes. Vignettes are just short case-based scenarios where you ask essentially what type of imaging would be the best initial approach to a patient with suspected renal colic. Want to emphasize that this was for uncomplicated stone that was assumed in all of the vignettes, meaning we're not trying to get into scenarios where patients may have coexistent infection. 
an affected obstructed renal stone as a medical emergency, or if they have pre-existing renal disease, such as single kidney, chronic renal insufficiency, or other things that could complicate the picture. So this is somebody with simple kidney stone to begin with. So let's just talk about one example of a vignette, and we will go through some of the other ones that we, that we went through in some detail, and this overall work will be published simultaneously in three journals in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, the Journal of Urology, and the Journal of the American College of Radiology, which has details on all of these vignettes. But let's take the base case of a 55-year-old male with no prior history of kidney stones who presents with acute onset of flank pain over the last three hours. He reports nausea with vomiting and has some hematuria on urine dip no abdominal tenderness, and his pain is relieved after intravenous analgesia. So when we look at this case, there's a few factors that we tried to build into the vignettes. One is the age. This patient's a little bit more on the older side. We did have base cases that were younger. For example, 35 was considered to be sort of the general starting point. And then there's the question of whether there's a history of kidney stones, as well as the clinical likelihood of kidney stones based on things like symptoms, presence of hematuria, and lastly, whether pain was actually able to be relieved after at least an initial attempt at analgesia. And that was felt to be important because if you can't get the pain under control, they're you know, more likely to require referral and intervention. So when we presented these imaging options or, or vignettes, we basically allowed each of the participants in our panel to select from one of these imaging options, which included, importantly, no imaging. There may not, you may not always need to do imaging on a patient if you're clinically certain what's going on and don't need to do anything further. There's point-of-care ultrasound and radiology-performed ultrasound, and the big difference that we delineated between those is that we assumed that point-of-care ultrasound would tell us if there was hydronephrosis or not, whereas radiology-performed ultrasound had a better chance of actually delineating stone size and location. We'll talk a little bit about reduced radiation CT, which is recommended by all the major societies in terms of imaging for renal colic if you elect to do a CAT scan, versus standard non-contrast CT, which unfortunately still persists in many institutions. They take the standard contrast-enhanced CT and just remove the contrast and, and use the same radiation dose, whereas if you really do suspect kidney stone, the contrast of the, the kidney stone itself allows you to reduce the radiation dose and still image the stone very well. And then lastly, CT with IV contrast, which would probably be more likely to be used if you had an alternate diagnosis suspected. One of the things that we'd like to highlight from the group is that we actually didn't delineate a specific cutoff for reduced radiation dose CT. Rather, it was a protocol that was based on reducing radiation specific to imaging renal colic. And that's something we really like to emphasize that institutions collaboratively try to develop. And I'm not sure that's completely widespread around the country, but it's something we would advocate for. Over to you, Dr. Moreno. What dose is actually considered a low-dose or reduced-dose CT in this instance? I think there's general consensus that a dose less than three millisieverts would be considered reduced dose for the purposes of looking for a kidney stone. It's just there's so many advances being made in CT dose reduction that that number keeps getting lower and lower. So I think that's one reason why there's not a firm established number. Something that's really important to discuss here, Dr. Moore, is what process did the panel use to come to consensus and how was consensus defined? The process that we used to achieve consensus was a modified Delphi approach with three rounds of voting. 
and we did an a priori definition of consensus as perfect being nine out of nine, excellent eight out of nine, good six to seven out of nine, moderate five out of nine, and no consensus. In order to try to make sure we're on board with consensus, we did group the imaging modalities as no imaging, any ultrasound or any CT, although within ultrasound or CT, there could be, for example, radiology or point of care ultrasound or reduced radiation standard dose or IV enhanced CT. But we were trying to seek scenarios where we had very good or even perfect consensus that CT could actually be avoided in certain cases. Chris, I think this is a really interesting way to go about addressing this problem. I have been on a lot of these podcasts as part of the ASAP Equal Project discussing consensus and the use of vignettes to set up consensus is a really easy to understand method that we've not discussed before. Can you give us an example of some of the results? We had a base case where we had a 35-year-old male with prior history of kidney stones who presents with a scenario that sounds very much like a kidney stone and had pain relieved. And you'll note that our consensus was moderate. Five uh, of the final people on the panel did think we should do point of care ultrasound, but four said we actually could do no imaging in this case. And I think for many people, if you actually see someone who has a classic case of kidney stone, you're able to relieve their pain. They've had a prior history. I think the key point here is that no one in the group felt that CAT scanning would be appropriate at this point. As you increase in age, I think it's pretty much the same thing, scenario two, a 55-year-old male, if they had a prior history of kidney stones. And as we get older into the 75-year-old group, scenario three, people did tend to veer more towards use of CT scanning. And I think that was supported by the literature in the sense that older patients are, number one, less time to develop a malignancy following a CT and also more likelihood of having an alternate diagnosis that could be problematic. Here's the fourth and fifth vignettes, and obviously we don't have time to go through all of them, but I did want to emphasize vignette number four, and this is a 35-year-old male with no prior history of kidney stones who has very characteristic signs and symptoms of kidney stone and pain relief after initial intervention. And there was perfect consensus here that um, care ultrasound would be the preferred imaging modality in this case, and we could talk a little bit more about what that would mean downstream. But I think the key here is that there was consensus among three specialties that not every patient who presents with a first-time suspected kidney stone needs a CT. And that is something that I've sort of just run into around the country in talking with emergency physicians, that there is this just sort of a cultural norm that all first-time kidney stone gets a CT. And we did not find that was supported by the literature or by the consensus process. One of the big parts of our literature review was actually looking at the true prevalence of alternate diagnoses. And these will vary depending on the likelihood of kidney stone versus other possible pathologies. But generally, true alternate diagnoses that require intervention is under 5%. As you get up in age, as in scenario number five, a 55-year-old male, most of the respondents actually felt that it would be reasonable to do a reduced dose CT. So overall, out of these 29 vignettes, we were able to reach consensus that only about a fifth of them really required CT as an initial imaging modality, with almost half requiring no further imaging. Now, it's important that some of the vignettes actually did incorporate an initial ultrasound, point-of-care ultrasound, typically into the actual scenario. 
So our take-home points from this consensus process is that it is possible and there is good consensus that especially younger patients, either with or without prior history of kidney stone, if they present in a typical way, don't have concerning symptoms such as abdominal tenderness and are able to have their symptoms relieved, that it is very reasonable to not do a CAT scan on these patients, at least initially. While in older patients, CT is generally recommended, and that point-of-care ultrasound is something that may be able to help guide clinicians either in definitive imaging or in what to pursue next. We didn't get into these specific scenarios, but there was very good or perfect consensus that pregnant and pediatric patients should have a radiology-performed ultrasound as the initial imaging modality. And again, radiology ultrasound we differentiated from point-of-care ultrasound as being more likely to be able to delineate stone size and location. They typically have dedicated technicians and more high-quality equipment and the ability to, in some cases, actually identify a stone on ultrasound. So in conclusion, this modified Delphi approach, uh, we reached consensus in all the clinical vignettes with perfect consensus in more than half and found that we had scenarios where we could avoid CT in about 22 out of 29 or 75% of vignettes, and that if needed, we really should be using reduced radiation CT with a dedicated protocol to evaluate these patients. Chris, you mentioned that POCUS can help guide clinicians. Can you give us some further detail for those who may be less comfortable or newer to the use of POCUS and how it can help guide clinicians? You know, we've actually done a fair amount of research into this specific topic. What pans out is that in patients that are very likely to have a kidney stone, meaning acute onset of pain, Uh, They have some microscopic hematuria, no abdominal tenderness, nausea, vomiting. Honestly, ultrasound, point-of-care ultrasound may not help you all that much. Where where point-of-care ultrasound is very helpful is if you have a patient who's in the more of the gray zone, you know, maybe a longer onset of pain, maybe no prior history of kidney stones, and you put the ultrasound on there. uh, We found that even relatively novice clinicians are pretty good at identifying moderate or greater hydro, hydronephrosis. So when that's present, that pretty much tells you in somebody with acute pain that there's uh, an obstruction likely from a kidney stone. So that's probably what the literature has shown us in terms of how point-of-care ultrasound can be most helpful is in a patient with a moderate pretest probability based on clinical symptoms and point-of-care urine dip, you put the ultrasound on there, and if there's hydronephrosis, you can be quite sure that they do have a kidney stone. Dr. Moreno, I'm wondering if you can answer this one. This paper specifically calls out that pediatric and pregnant patients should have radiology-performed ultrasound rather than POCUS, point-of-care ultrasound. Can you walk us through the thought process on that? Sure. I'll I'll take a stab at answering that, and I'll also say to Dr. Moore, feel free to chime in as well. Um, I think in the discussions that the group had around this topic, the idea was that for example, in pregnant women, there could be a variety of other factors that could be the cause of abdominal pain, uh, which folks in the radiology department may have a little bit more experience evaluating with imaging. We talk about in imaging with ultrasound in particular, the three main sets of variables. You've got your patient variables. What could the possible diagnoses be? What's the patient's body habitus? That sort of thing. You've got your equipment. Uh, how good is your equipment? Is it new equipment? And then you've got your just experience of the person performing the scan. So I think if if folks out there listening, if if they are uh, extremely experienced with ultrasound, pregnant women, and they've got great equipment, um, I don't know that there's a reason they couldn't attempt point-of-care ultrasound. I think just the general thought of the group was that there could be so many other diagnoses in the mix that it 
would probably be best to start out with radiologists performing the ultrasound. Yeah, I agree. And I guess I should chime in at maybe at the beginning of this presentation. Obviously, I, I direct the point of care ultrasound program here at Yale. So I may have a bit of a bias towards ultrasound. There was discussion amongst the group that there is a wide variety of the applicability and the use of point of care ultrasound around the country in emergency departments. I do agree with Courtney that it's certainly not, you know, we wouldn't say that you shouldn't or, or can't do a point of care ultrasound first, but the, the issue being there's alternate diagnoses in pregnant patients. And also, if you are able to find the stone, we found that the, the literature supported that the radiology performed ultrasound, for a lot of the reasons that Courtney mentioned, may be more effective in actually localizing and telling us the size of a stone for the possible need for intervention. But there's going to be differences in different just clinical environments in terms of what they have access to, different times of day or night even, where you may do a point of care ultrasound and then refer later for a radiology ultrasound or something like that. My last question here is, what's the big picture? What are the biggest practice changes that come from this guideline? Or are there any big take-home points that any of the listeners out there might need to really look at at their institutions? I mean, this is like, there's evidence and there's consensus and then there's actual practice change. I think for me, you know, one of the things that's most ingrained and, and toughest to change is the notion that every first time kidney stone absolutely requires a CT. And I don't think that was borne out in our process, but it may take a long time to change that, if ever. I will say in the United States, we use CT, you know, more than double the rate of other countries. And yet CT has really not been shown to have much effect on things such as procedure rate, admission rate, that sort of thing. The other thing I would say is that I, I really would like to emphasize the issue re regarding reduced radiation dose CT. I think that's an area that we could make a lot of progress on in terms of actually defining protocols for kidney stone. We did some work on this. Courtney did talk about reduced radiation dose CT. We look using the dose imaging, dose index registry of the American College of Radiology, we looked at the prevalence of reduced dose CT for kidney stone, and it's risen from about 2% I think it was like eight years ago, up to about 8%. But still, um, the minority of institutions around the country are actually using reduced dose for uh, kidney stone. So I think if we're doing CT for kidney stone, we have a lot of uh, you know, places to move on that, that that really ideally would be collaborative between emergency medicine, urology, and radiology and developing protocols for imaging patients with high likelihood of kidney stone using actual reduced radiation rather than just a, a modified CT from a non-contrast uh, standpoint. Well, I agree with Dr. Moore. I think one of the most striking things to me was also seeing the, the data that's been published about the small percentage of scans that are performed looking for renal stone actually being performed with a low-dose CT technique. Um, I do think, I mean, we ought to be able to do, we can do better than that. I think the actual building of protocols on CT machines is a pretty basic thing that practices can do. I think sometimes more just from real life experience, there's so many different order entry systems and in different ways those are set up, but we don't, if, if everybody could just ensure that it's listed there that we are looking just for kidney stones, I think that would also go a long way in, in making sure the right protocol is done. I think from the radiology side, different institutions are different in terms of their workflows around protocoling CT studies. Some have physicians doing all the protocoling, others have their technologists see what was ordered and then do the CT that was requested. So I think that, that is just data that tells us we need to do better and, and we can do better. I think we just need to make sure that people have the low-dose protocols built on their machines and then also that we as radiologists know that that's what's being requested when, when the order comes across. And as a bit of a plug here, um, 
through the HRQ funding for this project, we developed the DOSE project, which is DOSE Optimization and Stone Evaluation. You could Google it or maybe we could put a link somewhere. We've developed in consultation with radiologists very experienced in reduced dose CT scanning detailed protocols that cover almost all of the manufacturers, and we'd be happy to work with anybody. It's still part of our project. I think one of the key things is the collaboration between the clinician ordering the CT and the radiologist in the sense that the reason why radiologists may be less enthusiastic about reduced dose CT is if you're ordering CTs indiscriminately for pain that could be something other than kidney stones. So having a way to communicate to the radiologist that you really think this is a kidney stone will increase the confidence in being able to reduce that dose. And I think that's, that's really important. All right, that's the end of our whirlwind discussion on appropriate imaging for renal colic. I will link to the dose project that Dr. Moore mentioned just right there at the end in the show notes. You can Google for it, although you definitely need to Google for the title of dose optimization for stone evaluation. If you just Googled the dose project, the first three or four things I found were actually related to cannabis, which is a whole different study. I'll also link to the article and radiologyinfo.org that Dr. Moreno mentioned. That's a place that you can send patients who really have concerns about radiation risk and exposure. I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. You can find me on Twitter at jwoodsmd. You can find the rest of the ASEP Equal series through this same podcast feed or at the Academic Life and Emergency Medicine blog, www.aliem.com. Thanks for listening.